this is like everything I had ever hoped for dropped in my life and I'm lap in a miraculous way. So I'm in Northern Pakistan. We got all these grants. We had a team of 40 people doing awesome ministry. And so everything I'd ever hoped for to do awesome stuff for Jesus, it was like, I'm 24, 25. And this is like the coolest thing ever, God. This is Overcoming Performance Christianity, the podcast that leads you on a path to freedom in your walk with Christ. If you're a longtime Christian, but something's missing in your relationship with God, then you might be caught up in performing for the Lord. Find out more as we dive into this episode of Overcoming Performance Christianity. I'm John Fugler, on the road from performance to relationship in my walk with Christ, and I'm taking you with me, helping you gain freedom from the bondage of performance Christianity. This podcast does that. I'm a lifelong Christian media guy. I'm a husband, father, and grandfather of nine and I'm also the CEO of Fresh Faith 24-7, where we lead you on a path to freedom from the bondage of performance Christianity. Check out my free trial at Fresh Faith 24-7. You can take it for a test drive, experiencing all the benefits and resources. Are you ready to get to know Jesus? Paul said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is the podcast for high-performing Christians, and welcome to Germany. Yeah, that's where I'm recording this episode. Took my whole studio with me, which isn't much these days. You got a laptop, you got a microphone, and uh, I've got clothing draped all around me, so there's not sound bouncing off the walls. But if it is, hey, that's why I sound a little different. But I'm here for a week on a ministry trip as we are working on some things at TWR to take the gospel to the world. And we're talking together with our, our media leaders here. And uh, I'm taking you with me here, too. So thank you for joining me. The show must go on, right? Uh, I talk a lot about falling into performance-based Christianity. It causes our spiritual life to dry up. Not all at once, but it happens over time. And it takes time to recover. Honestly, personally, I slip back into it, but I get out much faster than I used to. Joy returns, peace, purpose, and a vibrant relationship with Christ. And in this episode, my guest tells us how he escaped the bondage of performance Christianity. Not only that, he has some tools that can help you too, so we'll meet him in a bit. Uh, a lot of people are taking my spiritual self-assessment. Have you taken it yet? Uh, find out how you're doing in your relationship with God. You might know already, but this will get more specific. Uh, I've developed a spiritual self-assessment that will give you the, the answers about your health of your relationship with Christ. And this self-assessment, it's a quick one. It'll take just three minutes. It includes some probing questions that will give you the honest truth about your relationship with Jesus. So get it now. Take it. It's free when you go to my website at freshfaith247.com or click the link in the show notes. Now, I mentioned that my guest in this episode was locked up by performance Christianity, but he learned his lesson earlier than I did. He fell for the same lies about performing for Christ. And the Lord, though, now has turned his life around, and he'll share his story, and you might find some things that'll help you. But we, before we hear from him, can I dig into something that's really key in this whole transformation from performing for Christ to knowing Christ? I don't know if you've had a, a tough day or a tough week, maybe a tough month, maybe maybe it's a tough season. 
we're all going to have those stretches. And if knowing Christ is really the secret to life, which I believe it is, man, it better work during these tough times. Or it's just theory. So let me throw something at you. I was a pitcher, so I'll throw it. In fact, uh, I, I devote an entire chapter in my new book to this principle I'm about to share. My book, by the way, is is so new that it isn't out yet. <laughs> the release date, June 7th, just before Father's Day. Well, here's what I want to center on. There are many benefits of knowing Christ. And one of them is knowing the power of his resurrection. It's the key for rising above circumstances, like the ones you might be going through right now. Paul was yearning for it. He said in, the, in Philippians 3.10, he says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. But what does it mean to know the power of the resurrection? I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Knowing the power of the resurrection is experiencing the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's easy to use uh, view this power as physical or spiritual strength. And if we do, we've missed the most important effect of the resurrection. And that's this, freedom from the penalty of sin. And that means we have eternal life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that he was God crushing Satan for good. The power of the resurrection is the key, is the key to our justification and regeneration. Our salvation is tied to it. Paul experienced the power of the resurrection, just as you and I do, but it's such a deep concept. The more we think about it, the more mind-boggling it is. At least it is for me. And we can spend the rest of our lives marveling over this truth. You've been raised from the death sentence of sin, You've been given new life in the Spirit. You'll be raised from the grave as Christ was into the full presence of God's glory. Multiply that by the billions of people throughout history who have known Christ, and that, my friend, is power. The more you know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the more you'll affirm Paul's statement in Colossians 3.1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. (laughs) And as you set your mind on things above, you'll experience the joy of eternal hope. You'll rise above circumstances, knowing that your God is, is over all, greater than anything thrown at you in this world. And and that's the, the focus of this episode of our time together here is rising above circumstances. So whether it's a terrible health ordeal, a blown-up marriage, or a financial disaster, you'll look to the risen Jesus. He's there to carry you through. The person who knows Jesus will turn to him. But if we're not already engaged in our relationship with Jesus and experiencing him daily, knowing him daily, we won't turn to him. We'll turn inward instead of upward. I would encourage you to practice turning to Christ in the small challenges. You know, the little ones. (laughs) Practice. (laughs) Exercise your relationship with Jesus. You'll be encouraged as you see him work in your life. Your faith will be built. Your courage will be strengthened. Peace will flow. Joy will return. You'll build a habit of trusting him. The power of the resurrection is the apex of God's might. 
This infinite power crushed Satan, vaporized the penalty of sin, delivers hope to all believers, and will in the end transport us from earth to heaven. The power of the resurrection defeats the power of stress. Look to the risen Jesus. The power of the resurrection overcomes the sorrow of losing a loved one. Look to the risen Jesus. The power of the resurrection rules over the fear of cancer. Look to the risen Jesus. The power of the resurrection conquers the bondage of performance Christianity. Look to the risen Jesus. This is freedom. And it's exactly what we receive when we experience the power of the resurrection. It's freedom from sin and freedom to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can rise above circumstances with the power of Christ's resurrection. You can experience like Paul did. He was beaten. He was battered. He was bruised throughout his missionary career, but knew the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. His hope of eternal life with his Savior kept him going strong. He set his heart on things above. And because of that, he was able to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You'll find that in Philippians 4.12. I believe his secret was tied to his lifelong goal to know or to experience the power of the resurrection. And that comes from knowing or experiencing Christ. And that's our mandate today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the ultimate demonstration of God's power. First and foremost, it put us in right standing with God. And we need to praise God for that. The penalty of sin was wiped out for all who repent and receive the gift of eternal life only found in Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Find that in six Romans 6.23. And so I've got some, I got an assignment for you, okay? Got some homework before we get into our interview. And you may want to pause after this before we hear from our guest or come back to this. But these are questions that I really want you to wrestle with, okay? These aren't yes or no answers that I'm looking for. They're open-ended. And and the first question is this, as as you look inward, where do you need to experience the power of the resurrection in your life today? Do you need it in a relationship challenge, uh, in your finances, in your marriage, parenting, health, work issue? Where do you need to experience the power of the resurrection in your life today? You may be able to answer that right off the top of your head. You're going, up. Oh, I got this area and this area. What I want you to do is write down the details and then begin trusting God for these things. And in the days ahead, Record how God shows up for you. Kind of a little journal here. And especially how he changes your heart towards him. Okay? Where do you need to experience the power of the resurrection in your life today? Be honest. Be honest. Begin trusting God for these things. (laughs) Well, now that you got your homework, let's shift gears. And yes, I, I do want to know what God has showed you. And uh, in in that quiz I just gave you, (laughs) I really do. So email me, let me know, john at freshfaith247.com. 
I want to know your experience. Okay, it's time for our special guest interview. He and I had fun talking. We had a great time. It seems like that happens a lot on this podcast. I met him through my guest in episode 30, if you remember, Bruce McNichol. Well, this guest was the ultimate performer for Christ. And boy, did God call him out on it. He and I share many of the same qualities. <laughs> and he tells us his story of the escape from the bond of performance Christianity. Robbie Angle is his name, and he's the president and CEO of True Face. He lives in Georgia with his wife, Emily. And get this, they're eight children. <laughs> he and Emily have eight children. And prior to serving at True Face, Robbie served for seven years at the Director of Adult Ministry Environments as the official title, and men's groups for a church that you may know, North Point Community Church in Atlanta. Andy Stanley founded that church. But before that term of service, Robbie and Emily worked in professional counseling and also aid work for Samaritan's Purse, and they served in Pakistan and Myanmar. They oversaw international disaster response teams, so they had a tough assignment out of the gate. They both uh, have received a master's in community counseling, while Robbie also holds a business degree from the University of Florida and a certificate in biblical studies from Dallas Theological Seminary. So he's been a busy guy over the years. The more I heard about his performance for Christ, mm, the more I could really identify with it. So let's go to my interview with Robbie Angle. He's been around the block a few times. He's not 80 years old, but uh, no, he's a young guy. Hey, Robbie, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, John. It's good to be here. And I, I appreciate calling me a young guy because I am six days away from turning 40. So I'm processing a lot right now. And uh, I, I, I received that young. Uh, so, you, so you fit 80 years of work and, uh, and life into 40 years. That's amazing. I'm, <laughs> I'm tired, John. I'm tired and I have gray hair. And I've got performance issues. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about that here. Hey, wait a minute. You're the counselor. So, um, <laughs> but uh, practically speaking, uh, with a demanding job leading True Face and eight children, okay, eight children, let me just ask you in a practical way how do you find time to deepen your relationship with Christ? How do you find time with Jesus? How do you get alone? Yeah. Uh, not easily. Um, this, my wife, uh, I, I'm pretty firm. I'm home at five o'clock. I don't check. I don't do work on nights. I don't do work on weekends because with eight kids, I've got to get quantity time as well as quality time. So I'm pretty good on the boundaries. Uh, but Emily doesn't care how early I leave the house because I she, we have negotiated that I don't have morning <laughs> responsibilities. So I just get to the office and and block out enough time um, ahead of time. And I've actually been trying a lot of different rhythms in that this year to try to find better rhythms. But I mean, trying to steal time, like in the car, I don't listen to anything now in the mornings. Mm -hmm. Um, I am cheating times in the morning to maximize the time I do with, uh, connecting with the father before my brain and to do's and crying children start derailing me. Well, as we record this, it's coming up on we're in the we're in the hour before five o'clock just to let you folks know so i know this is the countdown this is the last thing you're going to do before you go home and and greet the family so thank you i, I know what my deadline is uh That's right. but I, I love boundaries you know setting the boundaries you say you don't bring work home with you you're you're home by five and 
just out of the gate here, I think that's great advice for us as, as we cultivate a relationship with Christ and our families. And then can I just ask you how early you do get there in the morning at work? Yeah. I'll be at the office at six 30 to seven. Okay. Um, so that's not, reasonable. not crazy early and for integrity, I, I, I'm home at 5.15 every day, oh, okay. so I have to wrap up at 5, so we're okay. Okay, excellent. And uh, so it's it's a bar we can jump over, but that's that's pretty amazing. I had to ask you that question as we were getting started here. Uh, you're a longtime believer, too, and serving the Lord for many, many years, but I know as we have talked off the recording that, that grace hit you in the face in the process, because as we talk about performance Christianity, you've done quite a bit for the Lord. And somewhere along the way, God confronted you with this. Tell us your story. I am a firstborn son, Robert Bruce Engel III. And most assessments would say I have, uh, I'm off the charts on high drive, high achiever. I'm an eight Enneagram. Uh, I'm, I'm off the charts, kind of type A, issues, right? So I have some issues. So from a young age, I've had this overwhelming awareness of the brevity of life, coupled with a sincere faith that was a gift at a young age. I've got amazing um, parents and grew up in a a grace-filled environment of which I said, okay, God's the only thing that matters. Life is a mist that appears for a little while. My dad was on Young Life staff. Um, and I said, okay, God, here, here we go. Uh, I'll go wherever, do whatever, do awesome stuff for you. Cause that's what young driven Christians pray for. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of us, uh, there's two primary longings we have to be loved and to have significance or to experience belonging and to experience purpose. So significance and purpose for some of us is just a weighty, uh, expectancy. And if we're believers, then that's connected to kingdom impact. So I, uh, ended up, I thought the business world was the toughest ministry field. I was like, ah, it's easy to get paid to be a Christian, but to represent God in the business world, that's a tough one. So, uh, I was, I thought that was the path I ended up after uh, a season of waiting on God and not knowing what he had in store. I got an email out of the blue that said, can you leave in a week for Pakistan? And so my wife and I, it was just amazing story of, of God showing up in an incredibly miraculous way. Um, and so we said, yeah, we can go. So seven days notice, we packed our bags and headed to Pakistan with Samaritan. Seven days notice. Yeah. Um, we were, we were, we had five days left in our two month backpacking trip to Europe. So I was in a hostel in Barcelona with no job, no money, nothing to come home to other than just waiting on God's direction. And I was, I had been praying for nine months, God, please, by the end of this backpacking trip to Europe at our one year anniversary. Show me what's next. Cause I don't want to live in my parents' basement as a high drive, high achiever yeah. with a wife. <laughs> um, and so yeah, five days left in that trip, no leads. We had turned in a generic application to Samaritan's purse eight months earlier. And we got an email saying, Hey, the earthquake hit in Oh five. We're looking for a team. Any chance you and Emily are ready uh, mm-hmm. to go. So yeah, wow. we flew over and ended up being there for about 13 months uh, in the Kashmiri part of Pakistan. And John, everything in me, like, um, awareness of the brevity of life, God's the only thing that matters. So the low grade voice was like, if you really love Jesus, you're like a missionary in Africa or Billy Graham, right? Like Mm -hmm. the Sunday school teacher voice. Mm -hmm. And so with all my fears and drive, 
this is like everything I had ever hoped for dropped in my life and lap in a miraculous way. So I'm in Northern Pakistan. We got all these grants. We had a team of 40 people doing awesome ministry. And so everything I'd ever hoped for to do awesome stuff for Jesus, it was like, I'm 24, 25. And this is like the coolest thing ever, God. And so everything I'd ever hoped for was fulfilled on one hand, but on the other hand, it, I was internally a mess. And, and John, my our father loves me so much and knows how he made me and my issues. And it was his unbelievable gift to know the depth of my issues, to lead me to Pakistan, to come to the end of myself. Um, but I'll, it was about seven months into my time in Pakistan and I was a wreck internally, but everything is, was everything I'd hoped for well, and everything was going great. You were a mess. You were a wreck internally. What does that mean? It was on one hand, like, you know, when everything in your life lines up and it's like, this is all my hopes, dreams, I'm getting all these grants, everything's going great. So it's like, why am I not overflowing with joyfulness and gratitude? And, but the opposite was true. Internally, I just felt the most disconnected I'd ever felt spiritually. I felt the most dry. I felt the most disoriented in regards to peace, patience, presence. <laughs> and so, um, I was sitting on a roof of our house in Muzaffarabad, Pakistan, going, God, what is happening? And I felt like God saying, Robbie, I, I'm good. I got this. Thanks. I love your heart. Love your effort. But um, I don't really need you. I, I got this, man. Uh, and, and I felt him saying, Robbie, I would rather you go back to the States and be a janitor in a high school and aware of my love for you for 10 minutes a day than doing 15 hours of amazing ministry for me in Pakistan. And John, in that moment, the immediate reaction I had was no, 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 God. Like I will do anything, but nothing for you, please. I'll, I'll do anything except nothing. And, and that reaction, these things happened in that way. The spirit moves, which is like a nanosecond. As soon as I, my reaction was like, no, God, please, anything but that. And right after that, I felt this, this wave of, of awareness of, oh my gosh, like my reaction was so visceral of like, please don't ask me to do nothing for you that I was like, I, I think that's the ceiling of my experience of grace, of love, of understanding any of these truths I've read about, because I can't receive his love. Wow. Like I have got to earn it. And the fears like, and, and I started realizing the depth of my pride and how like my pride was behind all my fears of not living a life of purpose, not for his glory, but to, for my sense of purpose and significance, which I spiritualized for him in his name and how my pride had, infu had infused its way into my experience of God, my view of God, how I saw my value, purpose, love. Um, I, uh, that, that my father knows the depth of my issues and I've really been working. It's taken, it's been like a part-time job to really? unravel since that time. So yeah, we're all expecting issues. the, the response that, yeah. And then on the roof, God revealed that to me and immediately I was changed and totally different person, but no, you're saying it's a, it's been a process, huh? It has been, uh, it's a lifetime of maturing into what he made possible and what he made accessible to me. Mm -hmm. And I am more 
frequently drinking the waters of his grace and love for me and receiving that now than I was five years ago, mm. which was more than 10 years ago, which was more than 15 or seven, 16 years ago, which is when I was in Pakistan and he started revealing that stuff to me. Um, but it was just a, a real gift of a loving father to let me come to the end of myself through successes and striving and pleasing. Um, cause I would still be, uh, I, I would still be doing the next awesome thing for God. Um, well, tell so me about grace then you, you mentioned grace, but what does that mean? What is that? How did you experience this grace? I mean, it, it started, I guess, with head knowledge and it's moving to the heart. Uh, so you, we throw that word around yeah. the grace and love of God, but really what's it done for you? What did you understand and experience? It is uh, the beautiful depth of the space of the good news, meeting the needs that I can't meet. And in order to receive the gifts of everything he's done from atonement to justification to sanctification of now Christ in me imparted with his righteousness and the, the, the theology in order to even, even the insight of the right theology, and then the ability to receive that, which I don't even have to do. And then the gift of what I can receive, that is all grace. That is all his grace. Uh, and so when I, when I think of like the journey of experiencing his love, um, I can't even manufacture, I can't earn, I can't do, I can't even receive. It's even by that Christ in me that I'm redeemed in relationship with him to experience that love and then to receive it. That grace is that intersection of like um, humility, which I think is the chief virtue, you know, uh, the foundation of Christ likeness of which says I can't and how humility um, is connected to trust because Trust just means to let. And in humility, I say I can't, which is a posture that allows me to let you as a new friend, which we just met, love me by meeting needs that God put in me and the spirit in you and John to affirm me and to speak truth into my life and for me to be seen and soothed and safe and secure these needs. Needs being met is how I receive love, which is what I'm designed for in relationship with him and with you, of which it's a interconnectedness. And so humility, allowing me to trust and trust unlocks love because it lets you meet needs in me, which is how I experience love and vice versa and let God meet the needs. And all of that is his grace. Uh, and when you discovered this and, and, and learning this, how did it change your relationship with God and relationship with others? How did it change the way you did life? Well, uh, one of the beautiful things of of grace is that I get to receive a new every day reminder that I can't and he can, and I get to let him love me and show up every day. And some days I'm more easily remembering of his goodness and not my own efforts, mm -hmm. but don't get me wrong. Every day, uh, there's a part of me that's still, it's just more easy for me to go back to earning, doing, um, justifying. And so, it's a continual process uh, every day that is getting more comfortable um, in the space of of trusting him. And, and what it looks like is after trusting him, 
uh, and through scripture, prayer, time, rhythms to remind myself to trust the truths of who he is. And when I trust those truths, that's starting to lead to transformation and the transformation of what I experience looks like the fruit and the Mm. fruit of the spirit, which is Mm. love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And those things are starting to come uh, easier than they were five years ago. Mm. And I hope we'll be more five years from now. And that's the beautiful maturing process, which we will, you know, hopefully at 80, I'll be at like (laughs) 0.8% of what's possible uh, in the kingdom life that he made possible. Mm. And now God uh, has you uh, leading true faith, which is where you teach grace. In fact, uh, uh, on your website, the official um, description, official first line is true faith equips you to experience authentic relationships. And you go on to say there that many of us are disconnected in our relationships with God, ourselves and others. And True Face provides the content and relational experiences, leadership development to help people uh, live authentically, experience freedom. I go back to the key words in there, authentic relationships. Um, Many of us disconnected in our relationships with God. So uh, just as the leader of True Face, kind of take that and tell us what what is True Face about and and what is your mission with True Face? So... I'm three and a half years in to a founder transition. Uh, It's into a 27-year-old ministry. And I inherited some of the best teaching out there that I could find on how we see God, how we see ourselves, and the foundational components of our identity, our theology, and what that means for our shame and what that means for our relationships. And so uh, the the chief teaching of true faith is captured in a book called the cure. The mm-hmm. tagline is what if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you. And so in that book, it talks about the room of grace. When we get grace, what that looks like in the community of other believers of uh, in a high trust community of grace. And God has designed us to grow through the context of relationships relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit designed us for relationships of love with him. That's that's what matters most in life. We're designed for relationships of love. It's our primary longing as human beings, that gaping longing of our heart to experience intimacy and love with God and with others. And the reality is that's hard. And we are, especially in the West, we're full of Christians who were low-grade taught if we know enough about Jesus and if we obey enough, that will get us to a point where we experience these things in the New Testament we read about like peace and freedom. And a lot of us get to a point after doing the Christian dance for a while and go, is this really all there is to it? We feel stuck. We know plenty about God, but we feel like we don't know him, like experience that love that we're so longing for and we're designed for. And we think, we think one of the ways that Christians get stuck is because um, they're stuck in their head. So how do we help them journey the 18 inches from their head to their heart to Mm. experience the peace and freedom that Jesus made possible, not just know about it? Well, we believe that trusted truth transforms, not knowing truth, trusting truth. And trusting truth is applying truth in the context of relationships. And so if we're designed to grow through the context of relationships. The problem is 
is that finding relationships and experiencing relationships that actually lead to growth is really hard to come by. And if it's hard, that means there's bottlenecks and difficulties, which is why we feel disconnected and more lonely than we could and should. And so we are developing a toolbox of relational discipleship tools to help people trust truth, uh, to apply truth, to, to experience the beauty of relationships of grace. And so that looks like one-on-one -on -one conversation guides. That looks like uh, a catalog of small group curriculum. That looks like a nine-month group discipleship initiative. That's not sin management, behavior modification, but deeply theological process that's experiential in the context of a group where people can apply truth, solid truth, which we can't, it, you got to have the right truth to go yep. from your head to your heart. But that healthy theology of, of seeing God as a loving father and seeing ourselves as adopted sons and daughters of the King as saints who occasionally sin, not sinners striving to be saints. And that, that thread line of view of God and view of self how that changes everything interpersonally. If we can marry tools to that teaching, that's creating pockets of community that accelerate our understanding and experience of love. And that's discipleship. Uh, by this, they'll know that, that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So let's build some transferable communities of love as a super simple way. I just made that up. I've never said that out loud. <laughs> I don't think I like it. Yeah, I'll tweet that now. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, what I'm hearing is, you know, we talk about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, and we're working on that relationship. But I, I hear you saying that you need to be in relationship with others too, and probably like-minded believers who are on that same journey, that you're purposeful about it. It's, yeah, you can read and you can pray and uh, you can study, but in isolation, you don't get that value. I mean, we need that isolation with Jesus, but it has to play out in real life. And I'm thinking there's encouragement. We got other believers who are on the same path. So you're not the lone ranger. You're not the one just leading the way, but you're working on this together because because everybody in the group has, has the problem and we want to get through it. Is that true? Well said. And uh, that's hard to do. So how do we make it easier with tools? Because um, it, it it is so true that rewind and listen to what John said again, because we know that, but we don't know that. And our faith structures too often revolve around an underlying principle notion that knowledge will be more correlated to godliness mm. or, or another equation, uh, more right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. And that's just not biblical. To the, to the tune of, of, if we could, I would have found out because I'm that guy. And mm. Jesus is like, yo, I wouldn't have been needed. I wouldn't have needed to do what I could if you could. That's the law. And that's, uh, th that's the beautiful good news that I will redeem and reconcile and, um, and impart my righteousness onto you so that you get to receive my love. Mm. And so I think that that shift of how it transfers into our relationships um, we are not designed, and I don't think it's possible to mature um, without the, it, in, independent of the context of community. Mm -hmm. And we could nitpick that and argue it. And of course, uh, a silent retreat and quality time individual with God is a beneficial blessing and spiritual rhythm that Jesus modeled for our formation and our spiritual maturity. But uh, 
in the design, I mean, everything is relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, theology is relationship. God, relational God designed us for relationships of love. That's the whole point of creation. And in the garden, the lie came in and sin just breaks relationships. We turn from God in sin and breaks relationships. And the entire story is Jesus coming and doing what he did to redeem and reconcile relationships. The first two chapters were as it should be. Sin enters the picture. We question the goodness of God. The entire story of the Bible is summed up in the last two chapters back to the new earth. uh, And those relationships will be whole. And the entire middle is, is God really as, as he good, as good as he is and as loving as he is. And he proves that in the climax of the story with the cross, but in redeeming the relationship, which is the design in the first two chapters and the fulfillment in the last two chapters were made for relationships. Jesus modeled a ministry and said, go and do likewise of more time with fewer people for greater kingdom impact, relational discipleship. He focused on the relationships into in life. And then he said, this is the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of a gathering of believers. Um, And then he said the greatest commandment, love God and love others. And the second one is like it equal to interchange. Like there's a circular dynamic of we get to love each other, which loves our father and loving our father. We, how can we not love each other? And, and that interconnectedness, um, I, I can't read it without relationship, but so few of us do this well in the church. And well, well the, we the book, up. The Cure, that is a good entry point for somebody who says, yeah, I think uh, this is me. I need some help. Uh, and then uh, you wrote the book, uh, The Cure for Groups. Uh, you're a, a group guy, and you were able to bring that in into the ministry. Um, so is that something that one of our listeners could pick up that tool and start a group themselves? Or how does, what's the context of that? Yeah. Uh, a lot of our churches, you know, um, rightly gather us together in small groups. Any, most of our churches over like 500 people, we need to create pockets where we can be more known in order to be more loved, uh, which are correlated. And so more conducive environments to be more known and loved is five to 12, where you can be more known at an intimate level. Um, and so we call it small groups, life groups, cell groups, Um, And so that's a central part of the Western church's approach to spiritual formation, discipleship of us maturing in the, our ability to love and, and love God and love others. And the problem with that is that Sunday happens. A lot of focus is on Sunday morning. And so it's like, oh yeah, we do group groups as a critical part of our spiritual formation discipleship, which is right. The problem is it gets so little focus on what actually are the dynamics that lead to transformation in those groups. Um, and so it, a lot of us have been in small groups that are terrible, which is a problem mm-hmm. if that's a central component to a lot of churches, spiritual formation, discipleship plan. And so I was uh, in a role to focus on supporting about 800 groups. And that was a big problem. I looked at 800 groups and said, okay, how many of these are actually leading to transformation and spiritual maturity as a norm, not an exception? And what are the dynamics that lead to that? Mm. And so the cure for groups unpacks five principles that I saw that differentiated amazing groups from the lame groups. And so if you're in a small group, if you're leading a small group, if you're a member of a small group, uh, that tool is for you to, to understand the principles that differentiate great group leaders. And we have a 
study called Embark to help you launch or reignite your group in a healthier way for the sake of growth. Um, but the cure, uh, the tagline, what if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you, um, that, that wrestles with this, um, this, this question of, of, yeah, do I, um, do I see God as a sinner striving to be a saint or do I see myself as a saint who, sorry, do I see myself as a sinner striving to be a saint or do I see myself as a saint who occasionally sins? And that, in that question, you start finding grace, which a lot mm. of Christians miss. And that has changed everything in my life. Well, and so we'll have a link in our show notes uh, for those resources as well. And also a link to True Face, because there's there's a lot more that you have there, like our listeners to check that out. Uh, let's talk about our identity in Christ, because you're kind of on the doorstep of that. And that's an important component of what it means to live rightly with Christ. And, um, and, and maybe you could Take a few minutes, just encourage us with your your core message that you have for us on our identity in Christ, a proper view of, of Jesus and our identity. All right. I don't know how to do that simply, but I'll I'll go ahead and give it a shot. Here's I'm surprising whole... you with some of these questions. I know. I like I don't give our listener, our 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 guests the questions in advance because I love to see what the reaction is. And uh I think we're ready for something big here. There, there's a, this this way of following Jesus is so simple and so complex, and it's there's an interconnectedness to how we see God, our theology, how we see ourselves, our identity, and how we relate to others, uh, which is the expression of love, which is discipleship. Love God, love others, and this will be the way they know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Again, relational essence to it. So let's start with an assumption. Visualize this if you're driving in the car or running on a treadmill or wherever you listen to these. We're designed for relationships. Let's start big picture. What's the point of life? Why are we made? We're designed for relationships by a good and loving God because why you're made, you have to ask who made you and for what purpose. So that's an assumption there. So you would probably call yourself a Christian if you align with that. We're designed for relationships by a good loving God. Now here's, so this is, I'm speaking to Christians and, and there's two ways that well, there's a way that most of my life I've been on different, um, uh, living into um, the truth of this differently. Now, what I mean by that is what happened with sin. Uh, sin breaks relationships. It turns away from the goodness of God. Doesn't separate us, but turns away from the goodness of God. Sin breaks relationships. So we're rightly called sinners, right? We're sinners. That's just describing the relationship uh, to our creator as we're a sinner. We turned away from God. We turned away from love. So what that does for Christians is we go, I'm going to sin less, do more to be closer to God, to redeem this thing, the longing, the, what I'm designed for. And I spent a lot of my life, John, doing that really well with a lot of intensity. Um, over here, though, what, what really happened is Jesus says, you can't. I did because I knew you can't. And so that's what atonement um, looks like. That's what sanctification looks like. And so he says, in in doing what you can't do, I'm giving you a new identity now. Um, imparted with my righteousness now, you are a saint. You are a son and daughter of the king. And so that's where the question, do I see myself as a sinner striving to be a saint or a saint who occasionally sins, changes everything. And I'll tell you how. But 
that identity is a hinge point that affects everything about our horizontal relationships with other people. Because some days I live out of this framework of earning, striving, mm. um, trying to be better, do better with God, which is performance Christianity. And some days I live in it. No, he has done it. And think about how we see God differently over here on the center side. He's a, he's a judge God waiting for me to get my crap together to like stop sinning and do better mm -hmm. over here. He's a good and loving father who loves me like crazy. Nothing I can do to earn any more or less of his love. And he likes me. I'm a cherished son. So that's, that changes everything. Now, how we live out of that. When I see myself as a sinner in that identity, as a Christian, that looks like shame, which says you're a screw up, Robbie. Guilt says you screwed up. Shame says you're a screw up. So I'm a screw up. Yeah, you're right. Cause I'm a sinner and I'm, I turned away from God's love. Shame leads to what hiddenness, just like it did Adam, just like us. So I, I, I have to hide because if you saw the real me, no way any of you listening to this podcast would listen to another word I, word I said, cause you know how screwed up I am. So I put on a mask. I tell you, I've adopted five kids. I was a missionary in Pakistan and you golf clap. And the, the shame is uh, you, it's the mass that receives love, not me. And so sh that identity looks like shame and hiddenness. And I lack, and it looks like isolation and loneliness. And all of that is rooted in pride because pride says I can do better, be better, earn your love, be lovable by you. And that looks like, um, that looks like fear and control, which a lot of us know. And so anxiety is a buoy, an indicator in my life that I'm trying to control something um, that, that there's fear and control there, which is me trying to earn it. But when we see ourselves as a saint, that's a secure posture. That's a security in, in identity. That security instead of shame leads to authenticity instead of hiddenness. And that authenticity means, John, you can know all of me because I'm secure in who he says I am. And that leads to love because that's humility, which means I can't. Jesus did. I just get to let God love me, meet my needs, redeem me, give me a new name. And I get to let you love me, which looks like trusting God and trusting others in humility and out of a security of my identity. And that also allows me to receive love and to give love to those in my life more frequently, because I'm not as focused on myself. I get to love and meet the needs of others in being in authentic relationships. So wow. that, that that's good. And, and now the question I have is, and we're not, <laughs> we're not moving into performance Christianity, but I'm going, how, how, so what, what, how can we move from this unhealthy uh, identity to the healthy identity? What is, what is that process? And I mean, you've gone through it by experience. You've taught other people. Kind of give us some clues on this. Yeah, I, I love the tension of even how you said that, which is so right of like, yeah, but how do I wake up every day and live into the identity of Christ in me as a righteous son of God, which allows me to live with authenticity, humility. I get to love others more effectively that's the beauty of grace because Jesus made it possible. I get to let God love me by meeting my needs of being seen, sued, safe, and secure. And the fruit of that is love and joy and peace and patience. And those around me notice a difference in how I love them out of that. And so I, I haven't found anything prescriptive, so I don't know how 
other than I know some rhythms that help remind me of the truth and to trust the truth every day. And rhythms like going on a walk and being alone with God and gratitude and community with, with consistent, intentional relationships with guys that love me, who protect me from my weaknesses and support me in my strengths. That's the beautiful byproduct of authentic community. Mm-hmm. And that helps me going off down my off the curve and rhythms of, of prayer, of solitude, uh, spiritual rhythms are gifts. Disciplines are, you know, I, I read Foster, I've, I've read everything, but, and he gets it right in grace. It's like spiritual disciplines are gifts of just like practices to counter the lies of the world with truth. And that's just a gift that I get to practice these things to remember truth. And trusting truth transforms. So remembering truth is important on a daily basis. Prayer, scripture, uh, community, truth, to balance out the 23 hours of lies that come into us from the world and from my uh, insecurities and egos and wounds and fears. But trusting that he's given me a new heart, given me access to Christ in me and the Holy Spirit, and enjoying that relationship with him um, and trusting those truths Mm -hmm. or Robbie, what you said here with rhythms that, that hit me because you know, you said disciplines, but rhythms doing the same thing over and over again, uh, making time develop the right rhythms in your, in your life. That's uh, to me, I, I love that. Um, And uh, I think that's really key. And then the other thing that hits me is you got to hang around people who are doing the same thing. You, you talked about all the wrong input coming into us from the world. Well, we got to be around people who are pursuing the same thing. Uh, and, and that's where the small group comes in or just people we hang out with, maybe some one-on-one time. But it, it seems to me that that is going to reinforce yes. the truth that we're trying to live out. Amen. Because we are not not designed to do it alone. And we can't. And if we're trying, we're not going to, it's not going to happen. He, and, and the new Testament is full of going, he, he modeled it. Jesus did. And then he painted a picture and said, go gather together in my name and do this in remembrance of me, my like remind each other of the truth, celebrate communion by breaking bread together, doing life together. Don't over spiritualize the sacrament, but yeah. Remember together as you break bread and do fellowship in life, uh, in the goodness of God. And Oh, by the way, I just modeled all these rhythms of mm. from fasting to solitude, to prayer, to all for the sake of creating space to enjoy and be present with and receive my love for you. That Jesus model with the father that we get to do as a gift, not as an obligation or a thing that'll get me closer. And, and that's a subtle, but significant difference that hinges even the rhythms and the motives of my heart are hinged on that identity and theology piece I talked about earlier, which at least for me has made a massive difference. Well, a few weeks ago, we had uh, your co-founder on the show, Bruce McNichol, and it was a rich time. Uh, you, you talked about breaking bread together. Boy, he gave us a whole, some really profound thoughts on communion. And this time was rich too. I just, uh, man, we're just digging deep here. Uh, and I just thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for really opening up being uh, transparent with us. And showing us that what you're talking about isn't theory, but it's practical. Uh, what you're talking is not easy. It takes time. Um, I think of, uh, I talk about Fresh Faith 24-7, where we're 
a movement of believers desperate to know Jesus. And we have to be desperate because the the world is pushing against us and we've got to live differently, think differently, and be around people who who think that way. So thanks for pushing us in that direction. I appreciate it. Well, I'm stumbling along with you and and Fresh Faith 24-7. What you're doing, it's fun when you meet another ministry that's like your brothers and you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, he gets it. It's so easy. And it's so uh, hard. That's why we weren't meant to do it alone or even be able to do it because mm. the fruit of the spirit is the things we're longing for. And we can't even produce those. We just, if if I can leave it, it's so simple and so hard to just abide. Jesus summed it up. He's like, everybody's taking their notes and they're like, okay, so how do we do this? How do we get this grace <laughs> thing? And he's like, okay, take out your pens. It's pretty si- abide. Okay. But how, what? just abide in the vine and the fruit of the spirit will be those things. And John, as a driven high achieving guy, that takes more courage and humility and intentionality to abide and rest and receive and let him love me than doing 15 hours of hardcore ministry a day. That's, that's way easier to discipline my way into a, a, unbelievable, awesome Christian, way harder to receive and trust. And so this is not a cheap grace, passive abdication of responsibility. This is courageous, humble, letting him love me and meet my needs, which takes a lifetime, but hopefully that muscle of humility and trust and dependence, which is all his grace Mm. will get stronger in me this year than, than last year. Mm. Well, thanks for challenging us in an encouraging way too. So, uh, Love what you're doing. Thanks for the resources too. Going to point our listeners uh, there because uh, you got something practical they can follow up with. Like I said, kinship and in ministry here. I love what you're talking about. Abiding, um, getting out of performance Christianity, knowing Christ, all of that. So keep up the good work with the people you're working with. Thanks, John. And you can check it out on our podcast. We'll have to get you on there or the website or emails, any of that. Oh yeah. Give us the podcast. What's the podcast name? Probably The Cure. It's called True Face. True Face. Okay. <laughs> if you go to True Face, you got the podcast. We have we have blogs, we have books and resources and social media. But if you just go to trueface.org, um, that'll get you there. And and there's nine-month discipleship tools for you to experience a pocket of grace like this. There's books, there's one-on-one conversation guides to help you process these truths in and deep in relationships at the same time. That's great. I see uh, you got uh retreat coming up. I'm looking at that too. And I'm on the site right now. Yeah. The the two places that I would start with the cure, I'd start with checking out the podcast and then um, small groups, the cure for groups, one-on-one tool. We have something called the true face conversation, eight conversations to go deeper with God and one other person and a nine month, our real signature experience is a nine month group discipleship initiative. John, I need to get you to lead one of these. It's it's you opening your life to six or eight guys or you and your wife investing in three or four couples over nine months, once a month for three hours. Wow. We make it easy for you to pour your cup into others and go and make disciples and create these pockets of grace. And it's free. There's no, we're a donor driven ministry. So um, I'm not getting stuff out of this, but John, you'd be an awesome leader. Oh, thanks. Gonna, now, you, you put me you on the spot. Is this what you're trying to do here? You get me on oh, yeah. the air. If I can get you, you to lead in front of all these people. <laughs> John, hey, listen, whoever's listening to this, 
text John, follow up and say, Hey, are you doing that nine month group discipleship initiative called the true face journey? Cause I want in your group, put some <laughs> pressure on John. Help me out people. <laughs> Thanks Robbie. You're Blessings. Welcome, okay. Take care. See ya. Bye-bye. And there you go. Real life victory and a lot for us to chew on. Also, Sneaky Robbie tried to get me committed to leading a group. <laughs> I know he's going to call me out on that one. Um, hey, if you want your life to be vibrant, if you want a consistent walk of faith, and I want to help you. Fresh Faith 24-7 is open. It's ready for you to take it for a test drive. Yep, a free trial will take you inside and experience all the great benefits and I want to tell you in, in this show about the Freedom Path training that's inside Fresh Faith 24-7. It's truly focused on those who are struggling with performance Christianity. And if that's you, then, man, I created this for you. It's a complete video training, including a playbook, so you can follow along and take notes. It's, it's there. It's there for you. Yeah, and yeah, take notes. If you want to change you got to get serious. There are four modules in the Freedom Path training. So go get it when you go to freshfaith247.com and you click on free trial and you can dive in. And as I said, take it for a test drive, experience it, and see if this is for you. Well, our next episode, the gritty details on how to know Jesus. Yes, I've been talking about knowing Christ. Well, now the how question. It's an application episode. Yeah, most of my episodes are, and I'll see you next time.